Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast where your host, Ryan Tansom, brings you all the information you need to exit your company and explore what life can be like on the other side. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Life After Business podcast. This is episode 138. And today's episode is about opportunity zones, because if you've been paying attention to blogs or emails that are coming through your inbox or you're watching the news, there's been a lot of chatter about these opportunity zones and not a lot of clarity about what it means to you and how it's actually actionable to you and whether it's something that you should be considering. So what I wanted to do is I rounded back to Brian Forcier, who was on the show about a year and a half ago, talking about 1031 exchanges. And I want to have him on the show today because Brian's career has been devoted towards saving money on taxes through 1031 exchanges, deploying capital in real estate investments and managing the real estate investments and making sure that people have the chance to really grow their wealth in significant ways that they haven't been able to before. And so he was set up, in my opinion, to really dive into this because he's paying attention to this stuff all day long. So he's taken on himself and his company at Titanium Partners to really partner up with people that could take advantage of this into a whole new way. And so he has dove into Opportunity Zones to understand what does it mean for real estate investors, for business owners, how do you take actionable steps to using the zones and understanding whether they're right for you or not. He's actively using them in very, very large deals. And so he's on the show to really break it all down saying, Here's how you can take advantage of it. Here's what it means to you. And the real net of it is the government created this program in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act because they wanted to take 25% of each state's counties and say, which ones are the ones that have not been revitalized since the 0809 financial crisis? And how do we find patient capital that's willing to deploy into these places to revitalize them through investing in the businesses, investing into real estate to help bring them all back up. And so it really makes sense. And the crazy part is, is we only have about 12 months or so to really take advantage of this stuff and this program. So if you're looking at selling a business or real estate and have a low basis and you want to defer your capital gains and there's a sliding scale where you could potentially eliminate all of your capital gains if you keep your capital there for 10 years, which is a big deal when you're looking at a very large number of dollars that you're going to be giving to the government if you sell your uh, business or real estate. So I think it's something to pay attention to, especially if you got a triggering event coming up in the near future. So Brian's on the show to break it all down. How you can take advantage of it. What are the different scenarios of what it might mean to you? And then actually looking at the dollars of how much you could potentially save. So if you have the potential to invest in one of these zones because you've got extra capital that you need to deploy or you want to defer your capital gains, this one hour could potentially save you a ton of money and also help a bunch of communities in the process. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this episode with Brian. This episode of Life After Business is sponsored by GEXP Collaborative. Their proven process gives you clarity on all of your exit options and how those options impact your financial success, timing, and future happiness. Sell your company on your time frame to the buyer of your choice at the price you want. Brian, how are you doing this afternoon? Doing great, Ryan. Thanks for having me on. So round two, huh? So I think it was, what, a year and a half ago? Um, something like that you were on talking about the 1031 exchange and kind of diving into that and uh, a little bit about your background, but for the people that haven't listened to that and we'll put that episode in the show notes, but kind of let's get to give the listeners a little bit of your background and what are what do you and titanium partners do? And uh, kind of before we kick into the opportunity zones. 
Yeah. Well, again, thanks for having me on. And, you know, Titanium Partners is a is a firm that I am the managing principal of. Basically, what that means is I help people that want access to commercial real estate investing or uh, business investing. And we're kind of a boutique, you know, private investment advisory firm, if you will. But everything that we work on is, is typically for high net worth individuals. Most of our folks are accredited uh, investors. Um, however, we do work with private businesses and, and new business development as well. Focus primarily on the Midwest. Uh, we do do some work down in the southeast of the U.S. as well, but typically we're we're pretty focused on the Midwest. I like to say that we speak Midwestern, and uh, that will find hold true for a lot of your listeners. So you, you're you're and you're up in Duluth, so you even know how miserable the Midwest weather can be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the polar vortex. We uh, out of we all the real estate thing. investing, you haven't figured out how to invest in Florida yet, right? Or at least <laughs> live down there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So actually, before we even kick into this even more, so explain a little bit about some of the inner workings of, you know, because I think private, you know, what is commercial real estate investing and then how does that all work? Because I think you, you've got a unique suite of services because I think as you team into this, you know, a lot of people are always chasing returns, but then also making sure that they've got tangible investments. And there's a lot of people looking at buying businesses these days, commercial real estate, and then having a portfolio of all the other normal stocks and bonds, but how did you get into this? And then how did, how did you end up kind of with the suite of services? And then maybe kind of explain how those different silos of, uh, of the services that you use kind of all uh, work together. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Thanks. So, you know, it really starts with the deal itself. And with Titanium Partners, what I've tried to do is put a team together of people that can really help our clients evaluate if the deal makes sense. You know, and we'll tell our, our clients if it doesn't, or if we think that, you know, in our opinion, here's the 10 things that you should look for that cause this deal not to make sense. Let's move on to the next one, you know. And so we're very careful, very, very uh, concentrated on, on returns, no doubt about that, but also on kind of the long term viability of the investment that folks we work with um, are looking at. And we take that really serious because as part of the suite of services that we offer, we also do long-term asset management, property management. Basically, you know, somebody can hire us to to you know get mailbox money, if you will, and we take care of all of the detail for them, from you know the sale and brokerage of the of the building or the business to the you know asset management of it, making sure they get good profit and loss information, and then really watching for you know when's the right time to reposition an asset and and add value and things like that. So. Typically, our investment clients are, are involved with us for years to come. And so I think that sets up well for us in a relationship to make sure that we're helping them make good decisions on the front end rather than just a one-off you know, brokerage or something like that. We're, we're in it for the long haul with them. Well, and, and when you say it starts with a deal too, and that's where I think when you say that, you know, what are the, the triggering events that people are looking at this stuff? And maybe we can kind of tie into that because that'll kind of tie into the, the kind of the premise of the show of the opportunity zones and stuff. But the, you know, is it the 1031? Is it the triggering event of buying a, you know, or selling a business? Is it the real, like how, like what are the different things that are like things that people, like if they're experiencing those things right now, like, oh, okay, this makes sense. I should start looking into different options. Yeah. So a lot of times, and I know we're going to, focus some of our conversation today on opportunities on so I'm excited to get into that as well but I still do believe that the 1031 exchange which we did a podcast on previously you and I um, really is the best wealth building tool available to us today it still is the, the best tool available and 
what the 1031 exchange does is it gives the investor an opportunity to reinvest their gains without, you know, while deferring taxes. And that, that allows you to put your full amount of money back to work, even though you might be going through a life change like a, a business sale or, you know, retirement or something like that. And so I counsel our clients that it's never too early to be looking at that. It could be five or 10 years down the road and it's not too early to engage us in the conversation so that we're helping position their assets correctly so that they can maximize their value. And that allows me to, to have more equity of theirs to, to go to work with. So it, it's just really never too early to have us in as the conversation goes. Well, and, and as that kind of ties into, then we can, we'll tee it into the, the, the meat of this, but like the, the 10, you know, the 1031 as people are going to like sell their building or they're going to defer and they're trying to figure out what they want to reinvest in. Now there's this new thing called the opportunity zones that makes it even more interesting, right? Because of the different things that are in there. So let's just give us your, I mean, you're doing a panel. I think it's on April 17th here in the Twin Cities at one of the country clubs. So we'll put the show, we'll put the link in the show notes for that. So you've kind of got your template for this. For the people that, I mean, it's been talked about everywhere now. And it went from like, no one was talking about it to now it's on every single newsletter, an email letter that I think I see. But what is it? Kind of give us the, the down and dirty of what it is and how did it all come to, to fruition? Well, the Opportunity Zone um, legislation was part of the 2017 tax reform bill. And it really was a brilliant piece of legislation that it had bipartisan support. In fact, I think it was a Democratic senator that, that kind of came up with the premise of Opportunity Zone investing. And of course, um, the Trump administration signed off on it as well. So it, it really was a, a win in the uh, in the tax reform bill. And it, it did take a while to gain traction. I actually found out about it through one of our um, CPAs that we work with. And he called and said, well, you might want to look into this. And before, you know, guidance was really released in October of 2018. So mm-hmm. it went a whole year almost before uh, it was passed in legislation in December of 2017. And then guidance was released in October of 2018. This is a relatively new, you know, tool for us to use for people. And, you know, in a nutshell, what it's doing is it's, you know, about 90% of real estate or equity wealth is created on both coasts. And so what what the government's tried to do is give us a program that encourages investment into middle America, uh, back into rural America, back into um, areas of even metro areas that might be economically challenged areas. Uh, And it's really a job creation tool is what it's meant to be. And like I said, I think it's brilliant. And so what happened was, the Fed, federal government gave states the opportunity to designate their lowest income census tracts. And they had until April of 2018 to do that. In some states, they actually didn't even jump on this. It was amazing. Uh, Minnesota was one of them that actually had to have an extension of 30 days from the federal government because they didn't <laughs> take advantage of this. We should be proud of that, right? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, maybe again, not, not trying to get political, but I'm sure there was some politics involved between the two parties. And that was probably why. Um, at the end of the day, the state of Minnesota did come through. Um, uh, your listeners can can go on to uh, you know the Department of Economic Development site, uh, DEED, the state of Minnesota, and see they've got a map up of the census tracts that are uh, qualified opportunity zones in the state of Minnesota. And we'll also put the one for the, the U.S. There's one that's like a little overwhelming, but there's one of the whole U.S. Wasn't it, Brian, 25%? Of the jurisdictions or whatever it was in each state that they could uh, that they could bring to the table. It was, yeah. And what's kind of interesting to me is that if you do look at some of the the maps, obviously there was some politics involved in this legislation because some of the areas that are opportunity zone friendly 
you and I would look at and go, those are great areas. Uh, why wouldn't we invest there? Mm-hmm. So I would encourage your listeners to not look at this as only economically challenged areas. It's kind of surprising uh, if you do look at that map and do a little bit of research. And, and your listeners are welcome to call me anytime, too, and I'll help walk them through it. But there, there's some really great areas included in the opportunity zone that, that you'd want to invest in anyway. So what are the parameters uh, and, and why would the government, so what is it that they did? And then why would someone want to actually invest in these areas and what are the benefits that they get? Well, I like to break it down to three steps because it kind of gets a little confusing on the on the first step. And so let's start there. It's a, it's really a temporary deferral in, you know, of capital gains. Um, and this is not just a real estate play. This could be any kind of capital gain. It could be from the sale of your, your Apple stock that went from zero to 10 million. I mean, it, you know, it can be any capital gain, uh, business sale, small business, large business. There isn't a, there isn't a, um, a guide that says, you know, this is excluded or that's excluded. If you were going to take a capital gain on a sale of something, you can defer it now with the opportunity zone. And that's different than say a 1031 exchange or it needs to be a real property asset. Mm-hmm. This can be business. It can be stock. It can be anything that you sell. And so what they've done is they basically said, look, we're going to give you a temporary deferral. You sell it now. You're still going to have to pay those taxes. But we're going to give you a stepped-up basis, and if you hold it for different time periods, the longest being 10 years or longer, we're actually going to give you a 15% stepped-up basis. So let's use an example that you sell something for $100,000. Mm-hmm. You actually will get a stepped-up basis of 15%, and you'll pay tax on $85,000, not on $100,000 a game. Okay. And you don't have to pay that tax until the uh, December of 2026. So they give you a 10-year, I guess it'd be an eight-year deferral now to when the taxes are actually going to be due. And so uh, that gives you some time to, to build up equity and whatever you're going to go into uh, to help pay your tax liability that you might have, plus the 15% stuff that basis. So it's really the, the fresh capital that you're bringing to these opportunity zone investments has a benefit, added benefit of it, of again, that deferral component to 2026 and the stuff that basis if you hold it 10 years or longer. So that's, that's the first piece. Well, and maybe you're going to get into this, but I'm just for my own purposes here, so it, it, what is, isn't there like a five and 10 year deal where then there's actually no gain? Like you don't have to pay the bin. There's like a, like a, almost like a sliding scale of how much you actually have to pay in taxes. Yeah, that's right. So if it's held for, um, you know, five years or longer, uh, then it's 5%. If it's held for seven years or longer, um, it's 10%. And if it's um, held for 10 years or longer, it's 15%. Got it. The basis. Okay. So. Now, what you might be thinking about, Ryan, is called the permanent exclusion. And this is the part that I get really excited about because we're long-term holders of assets and businesses. And so for us, if you hold it 10 years or longer, it's in an opportunity zone and you sell that investment that you went into with fresh basis, you actually are op- your, your capital gains free. <laughs> so let's use, let's use that example of $100,000 that I sold in Apple stock. Yep. And I'm going to pay tax on $85,000 of the gain. Well, that 85000 goes into a, a new investment. Let's say it's a uh, new apartment building in an opportunity zone. And let's say I grow that investment from 85000 to a million bucks over the next 10 years. I don't pay tax on that increase in value from 85000 to a million. As long as I hold it 10 years or longer and sell it, mm-hmm. I pay zero capital gains tax after 10 years. Zero. So, that's uh, well, yeah, that's ridiculous. And uh, there's no other place that you could do that, really, other than some crazy estate planning maneuvers and stuff like that. So, the, and maybe I'll let you finish your two other points before I start ask, rambling off with a bunch of questions. I, 
because <laughs> yeah. I get a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, and this is a good time for me to remind your listeners too to always seek cap, you know, um, competent, you know, legal and and financial advice from your CPA because there are a lot of nuances to this program that you want to make sure you follow. But the one thing that I keep coming back to that I really enjoy about this program is it's a Treasury Department sponsored program, meaning there's an IRS form that we fill out to become, um, you know, a qualified opportunity zone fund. And a fund can just, it's a fancy way of saying that the actual asset that you're buying. So if it is not a group of assets, but well, there are groups of asset funds that are being released. We've been dealing more with one-on-one. Um, you're just creating uh, assets. Fund? You're just essentially creating a fund wrapper around whatever asset it is. That's correct. That's huh. what they require us to do, it. and okay. you do that with one form. It's not. It's not a complex <laughs> process. Oh god! Because I was going to say, like most people out there are probably hearing, like, oh, you know, I have to go out there, create a fund, raise a bunch of money, then you deploy the capital. That sounds like a pain in the ass. But like, this is literally just like you're filling out a form to make sure that you're just classifying that right. asset. That's right. Yeah. And it's through the treasury department. So there's, you know, you don't, again, you you need to have competent advice from your, from your professionals, but I I would counsel people to to look at this as a pretty simple process. Uh, The the feds actually set it up as a, as a really streamlined, uh, simple one form with the treasury department to to qualify. So uh, it's pretty easy to do. So the, first of all, do you, you know, like in a 1031 exchange, you have to do like for like assets, right? So you have to go from a building to a building, right? So if you sell your Apple stock or your house or your business, or you got, you're trying to defer these gains, what is it like, what, maybe this is part of your second or third parts of this, but what kind of assets qualify for this? And like, is it, you have to buy something, you know, already existing or can you like develop something? If you sold your Apple stock, can you go into real estate? Like what's kind of the, the, the nuances of that? Yeah. So as it as it does different, it is a different mechanism than the 1031. And you hit on it. The 1031 is really a like kind exchange, meaning you know real property for real property. Whereas the opportunity zone, uh, you know, potential isn't limited to like kind exchanges. Again, back to any economic gain that you would have made from the sale of a business, a stock, a, a bunch of uh, rare coins, um, a rare gun collection, any of that capital gain that you would have had to claim you can reinvest into any kind of investment you want to into an opportunity zone. Now, for me, I'm a real estate person, so it makes it easy. Uh, you know, we're, we're typically going into real estate assets. We are looking at some operating companies now that uh, we're putting some capital into because they qualify as well. And let's say we, you know, and that's where you can really realize some great gains. Now, your risk is a little higher in operating companies than real estate, but your reward could be higher too. And so, that, that ultimate reward at the end of 10-year hold could be substantial in an operating business. And so we are looking at both real estate and operating companies right now to so Brian, to I, I think in our fund. complications out there as far as or conflicting pieces of advice is, does it have to be, like, can it be existing? Or like, because like I, I saw yeah. articles where it was like, you can't go in there and buy an existing building or business. You have to like build it from the ground up or start an incubator for a tech incubator or something like that. What? What actually qualifies in in that? Yeah, what what confuses people is that you do have to make an investment into these purchases, if you will. So let's say I buy a um, an older building in an opportunity zone, and it's it's vacant, um, but it needs you know. Let's say I again just using arbitrary numbers here, but I'd pay a hundred thousand dollars for that. I have to invest at least another hundred thousand dollars over that hold period into that building to create the value. 
And so if you think about it this way, they're really encouraging us to spend money. The, the government is mm-hmm. with this program to to reinvest into these businesses and, and into these uh, properties to, to really clean them up or add value or, or job creation, really, with the operating company side. So you do have to reinvest at least double your initial investment. Okay. But there, to my knowledge, isn't anything that says that you can't uh, buy something that's existing. In fact, we're doing it. So. So then, okay, that's super interesting. So then, can you? Does it have to be capital that is coming from your? So let's say maybe we take an example for someone too. Is like you literally take 100, 200 grand. Maybe I don't. Can you take out an SBA loan and then so you you take the money, you buy a business or a building, and then. Does that money have, and first one question is, can you do that? And, and then the second question would be, is that, um, so can you use debt is my question in order to purchase? You can. Okay. Okay. Yes. So then the, the question is, does you have, like, do you have to take the capital from you or the fund in order to do that? Or can you, for example, let's say you and I, you and I have talked about a couple of businesses, right? Where if we go in and we go buy a company that's doing a million in EBITDA, maybe we roll a couple million bucks into that, you know, take out a loan, we buy this company. Can we use the profits of that business? As the reinvesting, so for example, if we would have netted eight hundred grand next year on that after debt payoff, can we reinvest that money and does that qualify, or do you have to spend? You know, do you have to deploy capital that you is outside of that? Does that make sense? Yeah. So there is an arm's length piece to the transaction, which means they want new capital or new bases coming in, and so you know, you probably it wouldn't be the capital that you generate, say, from adding value to that deal um, okay. that you're going to reinvest. They want they want fresh bases in. So what, what we do, um, for instance, we're looking at a large apartment building in, in Duluth right now that we're building. It's going to be 15 stories, 204 units, uh, Skywalk attached to, uh, to Essentia Health Care's billion-dollar expansion. It happens to be in an opportunity zone. So if somebody comes in with us as an investor on that project, they're going to more than you know double we're going to more than double the the basis of that investment in in this building. It's a seventy million dollar project. So, you know, in, there's an example of a of a building right now that we're we're creating um, from scratch. Most of our capital is actually from outside of the Minnesota area coming in because they wanted to uh, have mm-hmm. access to an opportunity opportunity zone investment. But it's fresh bases coming in. Was my point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And which makes which makes a ton of sense from a real estate perspective. And I think maybe to your point, I mean, business is a different asset class and it's more risky, right? But like, if I were, if we were to go buy a business, and 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 or if the sellers are listening and they want to sell the business, I think there's like so many like both sides of the coin that that people can negotiate on. Because if everybody's talking about net proceeds and internal rate of return, then there will be an opportunity to, to like maybe connect and, uh, or bridge a gap between a buyer and a seller and this stuff. But like, you, so you're saying if you, someone comes in and buys a business like that, they're then going to have to go literally take their own money and then put that into marketing or put that into hiring people or the growth strategy that is not coming from the current cash flow. That's correct. Okay. Got it. But how about like if you were to buy the business and then if the, if the building's separate, would that count? So then you'd be bringing it. Sure. And yeah, it, it doesn't. It's not specific to the. the it, again, this is not a real estate only play mm-hmm. versus, say, like a ten thirty one exchange. So, you could separate the two. Uh, you could do a ten thirty one exchange on the real estate side and do an opportunity zone uh, play on the operating company side. That's where I see the real. Uh, so potential it, for, okay, so. I see what you're saying. So you're saying like you could literally do a ten thirty one in the business's building that's in the opportunity zone to buy the business in in that same building. <laughs> 
sure. But yeah. So yeah, yeah. somebody wanted to, you know, what, what's real popular with us, we get calls all the time. In fact, I think you've been good about giving us some, some folks that need some help with this where uh, they want to recapitalize their, their business by selling their real estate and leasing back. So a company like ours comes along, we want to invest in the real estate, but maybe not the operating company. We'll buy the real estate from them, have them long-term lease it back from us. They can then take that capital and reinvest it into their business in an opportunity zone and qualify. That's awesome. And then again, like this gentleman that we're thinking of, he's going to be growing. So he's going to easily be able to hit that. You said it's two times the money. Two that, times. That's right. Yep. Super interesting. So did I did I totally uh, segue away from your three points? I don't know if we got to the <laughs> No, we got through them. And I, I think it was entertaining how we did it. So um, <laughs> usually this stuff, you fall asleep about halfway in. So I, I think we've done good so far to keep our, hopefully the listener's attention. And, and I will say again that, that, you know, like any complex piece of legislation, there are other nuances that we probably will not cover today because we just don't have enough time. So I want to encourage people to make sure they're getting the right advice. We've got you know a team of accountants on our side giving us advice constantly to make sure that we do this right. And I can't stress that that point uh, firm enough. But this opportunity zone thing, especially for somebody that's say in the middle of their career or in the middle of their uh, business cycle for their business or investing, it, it is a one-time shot here to set yourself up for retirement someday without a capital gains tax. I don't think I've ever seen anything like this. Yeah. I, well, I think what's interesting is like, I mean, even if you, so like the people that are in, so even if you're in the opportunity zone, could you just essentially do exactly what we just said and it would still count because you're just, mm-hmm. even you're in it. So it's technically not outside capital coming into the, into the, into that County. Well, again, arm's length. So mm-hmm. there has to be some reinvestment that's, that's going to happen in mm-hmm. something new. And yeah. so, what we see some people do, for instance, is um, maybe they're already in the business of making uh, blue widgets. And if they add a, a machine to their system, and let's say that machine is located within an opportunity zone to make additional blue widgets, then they qualify uh, as a business. Mm-hmm. But the, the product has the product or service has to be produced in an opportunity zone. Now, that doesn't mean it can't be exported out of the opportunity zone. Mm-hmm. So let's say you make your blue widgets in the you know, in the opportunity zone, but you, you export them to, uh, well, some wealthier suburb. Well, you can do that. That's mm-hmm. as long as your home base is in the opportunity zone. That's well, important. Got it. And I think maybe what we can touch on for the listeners too, which I think is an interesting point of this, because, um, I, you know, what I think is interesting is that it's bipartisan and in what, and why would both sides vote for this? And, I read a bunch, like, I think it is when I reached out to you because I went and I like totally geeked out on this for like a weekend and just like read everything I could. <laughs> I don't oh, know yeah. why I did. And, and, but like one of the things that I, I, I caught is just so intriguing is that it's one of the smarter things that I've ever seen any government do because it's actually how investors think. And so, uh, I, you know, there's a, there was a couple articles I read, like, this is white collar only for the, you know, the rich get richer and all this stuff. And it's like, you know, cause it takes a lot of intelligence and, or a big team to do this stuff. So you need a lot of people, you know, say, well, that's, you know, you know, there's, it's totally the wrong way, but what I actually truly do believe Brian, and I'm, I'm curious in your thoughts on this is like, it's just when you, they say it literally rejuvenates because the, the, one of the articles that I had and I can find it and put it in the show notes for the listeners is that like the sheer, like, how many jobs disappeared in 0809 and never went back to rural America is insane. 
because ever so many people are moving to the cities for jobs and you know the, like for all the different various reasons so there like this is a it's for patient capital and then actually with especially if you clarify the fact you have to double your spend you're going to actually revitalize these different areas so i mean it's literally for job creation and value creation in places that normally capital or investors like yourself i mean you wouldn't go to you know, there's some places here in town, like the, I think, I don't know if it's Brooklyn Center, Brooklyn Park, where like, you don't really necessarily always want to go there, but like this totally shifts the mindset. So I don't know, what are your thoughts on that? Because I just, I do find it it's super intriguing. Yeah, it, it, it is doing, um, it's having the effect that they intended, which to your point about government sponsors programs, we don't always get to see that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm being totally critical of our elected officials, but partially critical of them. Um, because they sometimes deserve it. Uh, in this case, it's working. And it, and it was brilliant because it does force us as investors of capital to look at opportunity zones first now. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that we won't do some deals or projects outside of opportunity zones. Of course we will. If, the, if it all goes back to does the deal make sense? And there's still wonderful opportunities that are not in opportunity zones that you should look at. And we are looking at them today. I'd we're uh, purchasing for a hotel investment group, a hotel uh, in Woodbury, Minnesota right now. That's and definitely so not, close, zone. <laughs> not in an opportunity zone, but it's a wonderful opportunity. And so, you know, I, I still counsel people to not become so focused on opportunity zones that that's all that they do. You shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't do that. It's really kind of like a cherry on top of the, the investment is how we look at it. Well, I just think what it's what is so cool is because it is about patient capital. And for like, you know, my definition of that is that you're doing stuff for the, you ever heard of the book called Conscious Capitalism? It's a yeah. it's a fantastic book. So just like almost kind of like you're just doing the right thing all the time, but with profits in mind. So you're doing the right mm-hmm. thing, but then profits also come. But like, you know, you go in, you go and invest in one of these places, whether it's a building or business, like you're and if you're forced to spend, you're literally going to be bringing jobs in or you're going to be taking a dilapidated building and making it better in a place that normally wouldn't get it and but the the crazy part is because of this thing like you get the rate of return for it so it's worth it i mean it's just it yeah you don't see that much that's kind of stuff that makes that kind of sense too often yeah i know it's really good policy uh is what's happened here and again bipartisan that we had a lot of distressed areas in in the u.s you hit on it earlier that that jobs left and now they're starting to return to its growth because of this. What is the time frame for this? Like, I mean, is this, is this one-time deal? Like when does this end? I mean, yeah. So one of the things that, that really has hurt some of the energy and excitement for opportunity zones was that the federal government decided to shut down for about 30 to 60 days here in the middle of the, of, uh, of all this. And so we as investors and as professionals trying to, you know, play by the game of the, the rules of the game, um, weren't told all the rules, and one of one of the issues that's coming up is the timing. Right now, the way the program is set up is that you have to make these investments by December 31st of 2019. Well, we were shut down, like I said, for two months in the middle of this thing, and couldn't get any answers from the federal government to make sure that we're setting these up right. So, what we're hearing is they are going to extend that um, the dates of this program. Today, for this podcast purposes, you have to think that. You have to make this investment by December 31st of 2019, but know that those dates most likely are going to get extended. And and you're talking probably what, maybe a quarter or something like that? No, they're actually talking six months to a year. So I think it's going to probably go through the year 2020 would be my my so, uh, best guess. And I don't want to go on a soapbox for 
too long, but like, okay, so this is a ridiculous mechanism, but like there is absolute shit for like resources out there other than people like you finally trying to get the news out. Why in God's name do they have like a 12 month window of something that's so awesome that when it takes yeah. that long to adopt and educate people and you probably like 99% of CPAs probably don't even get it. So like, how does it even like take effect or have an impact when it's that short of a window? Well, I think what they looked at, Ryan, was that this was actually passed in December of 2017. And so what they felt is that that actually was going to give investors two years, two full years to take advantage of this, which probably would have been adequate. The problem was that you know the guidance didn't come out. So they, they approved this, but the guidance from the Treasury Department didn't come out for 10 months later. <laughs> and then they shut yeah. it down because the government <laughs> shut down. It sounds like a well-oiled oh. machine, right? <laughs> right? God. There's... There's our policymakers again. They came up with a brilliant program, but they didn't tell us how to use it for 10 months. And then when they did, uh, they shut it, they shut down so we couldn't <laughs> register these things for another 60 days. So what was supposed to be a two-year uh, window of opportunity has become about eight months. And and they admit that. They, they see that, you know, guys like myself that are trying to do this correctly are, um, are asking the right people to extend it. And so I truly believe they'll extend it another yeah, year. That makes sense. So then. Okay. So I think, you know, for the actual stuff for the listeners, so let, let's say you own a business or a building. Yeah. You know, maybe we can, can kind of take this from a couple of different angles. Um, who, like in what situations, especially given like call it like a 12 month window, what situations that are people that absolutely need to think about this? So I own a business and what kind of life cycle or what kind of situations and, or I own property and like, and what, what kind of things should I be need or what, you know, like, how does that line up with my strategic plan? What are the, what are, who, who should really like, if, given these situations have to start looking at this now? I think the first answer that comes to mind is anybody that's growth orientated. If you're a growth orientated business, you're, you're, um, you know, in that phase um, cycle of your business or your career, absolutely. You should be looking at opportunity zones. If you're not in a growth phase of business, let's say you're, more mature in your cycle and you're, you're really only looking at uh, positioning yourself to um, for an exit, you know, within say the next five years, then opportunity zone investing isn't for you. You, you should concentrate on more of the 1031 exchange, you know, because then we can help uh, with setting up that you defer taxes still with, with the sale of your business or real estate, but it's not linked to just to the opportunity zone. So I think it really comes back to where are you at in your cycle of investing and your career and, um, if it's 10 years or longer, then yeah, absolutely you should be looking at opportunity zone. And if you're growth focused, you should be looking at opportunity zone. If then you're help. stabilized, not growing, then yep. it's probably not for you. Okay. So then I got a, like an interesting example to run by. So let's say I am a business owner and I own a business and a building in an opportunity zone or maybe even not in an opportunity zone. Honestly, like let's say give it anywhere. Let's say I sold but then invested into a fund like yourself or someone else that is, does their spend count for me? You know what I mean? So let's say you wanted to do that, but you wanted to get out or something like that. Then would, would that work with, you know, based on like, sure. yeah. So, you know, again, it has to be arms length. So they're not going to reinvest in that business they just sold, but they could invest in another business or a piece of real estate or, or asset that's going to appreciate over time. So, mm -hmm. um, it doesn't, and, and keep in mind, you don't have to sell something that's in an opportunity zone to take advantage of that stuff. The basis that's it can fair. be, it can be from anywhere. Mm -hmm. 
it, it's the reinvestment that's important. That yeah. has to be in an opportunity zone. And then, yeah, I was just kind of thinking, because when you're saying that someone's on an exit, like making sure that, so if they didn't want to double down and spend all their own money, like if they sold and then, you know, maybe they didn't want to do a 1031 or something like that, or this is interesting to them, they could do that investment, but they wouldn't have to, you know, double their spend. Someone that they could, you know, have capital side, you know, next to them, that would be counting as the, as the capital, right? They absolutely could do that. And, and also keep in mind, not to confuse people, but you can prorate or uh, pro-ration investments too. So let's say um, you decide that you only want to reinvest half of what your gain was. You, you're going to be protected on that, at least that half that you reinvest in opportunity zone, and then you're going to pay your typical taxes on the other half. So you, you can do it in percentages too. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. That's awesome. So then let's go into that second question that I was asking. Like, there's so much chatter about this right now, especially with the the urgency that, I mean, I looked at there's this opportunity zone fund list. I mean, my God, how many yeah. there are out there. And so there's people that are knocking on everybody's, what are people, what do people have to be aware of and be, be cautious of as people are knocking on their door? Well, again, um, you know, most of the folks that, that are, that we're working with are accredited investment, uh, folks. And so they, you know, they've, they're probably pretty well healed in, you know, in business or in, in investing terms. And they probably have developed a gut read over time of if, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. And so I'd say the bad adage is the first one to look at. If you feel like something, the story that you're getting is too good to be true, it probably is. Now, having said that, we've, you know, so, so we've got some, some great investment opportunities that we're working on within our funds that um, investors can call us about and we'll go through them and, Somebody might say, well, Brian, that sounds too good to be true, too. The, the difference is that I think I can, I can ground with factual evidence why I think my stories are good. And usually it's, you know, here's where the rental stream's coming from, or here's where the actual revenue is coming from. And if that fits your smell test of not being too good to be true, then invest in it. And if it doesn't, take a pass. Mm-hmm. You know, use, use your refined accredited investment gut, if you will, to make your decisions, because there are a lot of snake oil salesmen out there that are trying to take advantage of this program because it is just one form. There's a low barrier to entry for people to do this. You're also getting some people that shouldn't be doing it, uh, well, trying to sponsor some of these investments. Well, and like, I think about like, so also for the listeners or people that are potentially selling here so, shortly, or they've got clients that are going to be or whatever, they, 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 I mean, I just think it personally of my own situation, Brian, where like, you know, technically we went from being broke to accredited investors overnight. <laughs> so like, you right. never, we didn't have any sniff tests. We're like, I don't know, everything smells rosy. And so I think there's that. And like, <laughs> and you and I, we told, we told some of those stories on the last show, but um, you know, I think for someone that is potentially going to be having the triggering event of selling a building or a business in the next, you know, 12 months and someone convinces them to move the money into a zone that is going to be deployed. I mean, these people make asset management fees, right? Before they deploy them. And then what happens if it's not deployed or they don't find the, the investment at all? I mean, what are there any ramifications that you want to explain? Well, again, another, another distinction that you're seeing with some of the opportunity zone sponsors or people that are syndicating these deals, um, there's what's called blind funds out there where you don't know exactly what you're going to be investing in, just that you're contributing money to their fund. I'm a little bit more nervous of those than I am, say, a very specific asset or assets that are already predetermined and set up, mm-hmm. you know, that you know what you're going into. 
So I'd, I'd say concentrate on the things you know you're going into first, not the blind funds. Um, I, I do not have a blind fund, and I don't intend to raise a blind fund. Our, our strategy is more of let's go seek out the investments in opportunity zones that are good and then raise the capital for it. So yeah, like the I think hotel, right? Like, like this is what yeah. we want. it's tangible. This is what we want. It's there. You can see the plans. It's going to get built. There's construction estimates. You know what the lease up's going to be. I mean, all of those things are put together mm-hmm. before any, a dollar of equity is raised. So, nope. So this has been a lot of fun. Is there anything that, you know, as I was kind of making you juke and jive, is there anything that we, talked about that you want to make sure you reiterate or recap or is there something that we didn't talk about that you want to make sure you leave our listeners with yeah i think you know again back to the discussion that we've had about does the deal really make sense uh you know we we always survey our top investors and ask them what's their top concerns and i think your listeners would find this interesting you know there's really there's really five main top concerns that that come to mind the first one being we're in a continuing uh, rising interest rate environment so one thing to really be careful of is anything that you invest in that you know you're you're setting your interest rates you know, for the long term, at least ten years or longer. If you're if you're planning to take care of, you know advantage of the opportunity zone because you're going to be in it ten years or longer. So you know watch those interest rates. Make sure you're getting a good interest rate and it's locked long term because many commercial interest rates are three or five years and that that will set you up for some trouble. Yeah, yeah. That's one thing to watch for. I think the other one is, you know, the unforeseen shocks to the economy. Uh, about half of our investors are very concerned about that. That could be a terrorism attack. It could be a um, political attack. It could be a who knows what, a currency attack. Um, things that you just can't do anything about, but that you know we're kind of in an unstable economy. You know, and so you make sure that you're making decisions based on if if we're in an unstable economy and another recession hits, your widget's probably still going to sell. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I caution people to be conservative on what they're investing in there. I think the other piece is rising operating expenses. About half of our investors are really concerned with that, you know, because property taxes aren't going down, health insurance costs are not going down, utility costs are not going down. Anything that you invest in probably has a rising operating expense to it. So make sure you're checking and balancing that uh, revenues, you know, going up in concert with the operating expenses. Well, uh, the also- other piece of you. Well, I was just gonna oh, say. Go ahead, I was just gonna say. Even on that note, is like the listeners should be like they like whatever they're gonna invest in. They should have like someone should have all that modeled out, right? So that if their concern should be, yeah. you know, they could they should be able to see those, right? I mean, yeah, no, you're totally right. right. Yeah, no, that's right. And and back to your question about how do you tell if an investment is too good to be true or not? If if somebody hasn't done their homework and can't show you how that's gonna work out, I'd say run, don't walk. Because <laughs> um, it, it yeah. means they just don't know what they're doing. Um, yeah, and so you know, a couple other things that people are really concerned about right now is overdevelopment. I think there's you know lots of articles coming out about say the multifamily market, um, apartment building phase, and you know, especially the Twin Cities market. It's it's getting close to overbaked in most of our opinions, and so you want to look for areas that you know haven't been overdeveloped to, to make your investments into. And then last thing that people watch is global economic issues. And only about a third of our investors are typically worried about global economic issues. And again, we're, we're pretty focused on the Midwest and we're not as affected by global economic issues in the Midwest as they are on the coast. So I think that's, that's probably why you see that not be as big of a concern to my investors. But. This has been a lot of fun and I will, we'll have a bunch of the links in the show notes and you've got some other resources that we can put in there. Um, contact information if our listeners want to get in touch with you. 
Yeah, they can uh, look us up at uh, titaniumpartnersllc.com. Um, I think all of my contact information is on there, my email, my, my direct phone number. Call anytime. Uh, love investing. I love talking about investing with people. So there's no hidden agenda to it other than uh, if we can help each other make some money, um, I'd love to talk to you. Sounds like titaniumpartnersllc.com. Sounds like a plan. Brian, thanks for so much for coming on again. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Well, if you were tracking with Brian and I and you were geeking out on ways to defer or eliminate all your taxes, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Here's my big takeaway is that do not blow up your current plan or put any capital at risk if you're not set up correctly for your timing or your risk to do this. But I'm telling you that if you have your plan and then you're looking at selling and or deploying your capital in a place so you can eliminate some taxes and this fits into your growth and exit plan, then absolutely sit down with someone like Brian, dive in, run the numbers because people like Brian are willing to do that work because they want to know if they should be partnering with you and they don't want to put you at risk either. So if you have your plan and you understand when and how your liquidation event might happen with your business or your real estate, and this is something that could really significantly move the needle for your family wealth and or your plan on what you're going to do afterwards, sit down and start looking at the numbers to see what your whole plan could look like with or without this. And this is why Brian and his team get involved in my clients, because once we have the bigger plan, then we sit down and say, okay, Brian, how does this make a difference if we were to do this based on what we're trying to accomplish in the next 12 to 24 months? So I really believe that these are the mechanical tools that we should be looking at once we have the grand plan. But what I really, really suggest is do not just jam something like this down your throat because you think it's really cool. Make sure you have context of how this fits into the grand plan of your family wealth and for your growth and exit plan of the business and your real estate. So again, it's got to fit into the plan instead of making the plan circle around this because it's super cool and you want to avoid some taxes. So I highly suggest that there's two follow-up action items. One is that if you're in the process of having a liquidation and the triggering event is pretty much already taken away and there's not a whole lot of quote unquote planning that you can do, but you have the opportunity to capitalize on this, reach out to Brian, look at some numbers and see how you could potentially take advantage of this. The second one is that if you have some sort of idea that in the next 12 to 24 months that you want to potentially get out of your business, you don't know how, you don't know how to tax optimize the situation, and you don't know what all your options are, reach out to me and my team. We'll sit down, have a conversation, and we'll walk you through a lot of the different scenarios, the five principles, and then say, you know what, you need to sit down with Brian and or we'll get Brian involved on the back end once we have the master plan and we understand exactly what the whole growth and exit objectives are, then we start optimizing it with all the tax advantage strategies like Brian's bringing up. So I hope you enjoyed it. If you think that there is someone that I should have in my podcast, whether it's an entrepreneur that was willing to share their growth and exit story, or if it's another specialist like Brian who is willing to give advice that is surrounding the growth and sale of a company, please reach out to me because I'm always looking for great content to bring you guys and I enjoy geeking out on new strategies that I've not heard of as well. So I really hope you enjoyed it. If you're also enjoying it, please go into iTunes, give me a rating. It's a pain in the butt, but it makes a big difference as I'm trying to get new guests on and spread the word. So with that being said, I will see you next week.